So um, Ron Miles and his wife Wanda have been at Faith Church for about nine years. Ron worked in the ministry for many years before that, um, before retiring and moving to the area to be near his daughter and grandkids. Um, he and Wanda also have two sons, one in Elkhart and the other is in Minnesota. So before he comes up, I'm going to say a word of prayer for him. Heavenly Father, um, just thank you so much for this summer and for this class, Lord, and for everyone that um, was willing to share their stories of, of how you've been at work in their lives. And um, I thank you for Ron, and I just pray that you would be with him this morning as, as he uh, shares his story, and I pray that you would um, just be with those of us here in the class, those maybe still driving to class, Lord, uh, be with those of us um, and open our hearts and ears to hear what you might have to say to us today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Come on up, Ron. Well, I'm used to uh, getting up in front of a group, but I, I found that that was uh, less nerve-wracking than doing something like this. So. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I want to start by saying thanks to those who have put this program together for the last six or seven years. Uh, Betty Lindquist and Pastor Tom, I think, started this program. And um, Betty contacted many people each year until she had the calendar filled for three months. And then uh, Phil hosted the second hour. For several years, I hosted the first hour, and then Anne-Marie took it on and has done a wonderful job uh, filling the responsibilities for these summer classes, doing a fantastic job. I'd also like to say thanks to our church staff for the commendable way in which they serve, um, accomplishing <coughs> the uh, transition of the last few years has been notable for sure. Uh, they work faithfully to carry out a full program for the church. Uh, it's very fitting that I came last in this series this summer. I was the youngest of four children in my family. Uh, the other three were sort of bunched together, and then I came along later. And so I was sort of uh, behind in whatever was going on in our family. I was just sort of dragged along. And so <clears throat> uh, my dad called me the old cow's tail. And, <laughs> and so as we come to this last series in the summer, I'm the old cow's tail. Um, my story was called Balancing Act, and the thought is this. Uh, for anyone in ministry, you soon learn that life is a balancing act between your family and your ministry. And uh, we expect our pastors to be available when we need them, and they want to be. But let's start also with a word of scripture, and this is uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, um, okay, there it is. <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this, is, um, this particular chapter is, I think, my favorite chapter in the Bible. We expect our pastors to be available when we need them, and they want to be available, but I love it when they take time for their families. And that's an important thing uh, for them to do. Uh, I'll start by giving you a little bit about our family. In fact, I'll start with Wanda's family. Uh, Wanda's family uh, lived in Washington when she was born. And uh, I think that would be the next picture. Okay, oh, there she is. Uh, 
And then that's with her mother. And then the next one would be, oops, that's, that comes later, I think. Okay, there. Okay, that's me and my mother. And uh, then there's one more picture that goes after that. And <laughs> okay, there's a story behind that picture. <clears throat> that's also me. Um, but this picture was uh, taken by a, a studio, and they had it in their window of their studio. And my folks wanted that picture so badly, and uh, they couldn't afford it. And then some people came along the church and bought the picture for them. So uh, they got that, and uh, that's always been part of it. When Wanda was six years old, her family moved back to Michigan near Lexington. Uh, they had been on the West Coast, and they moved back um, uh, to Michigan. And her dad's family, Wanda, had 45 or so first cousins on one side. Um, her mother's family, not so large, but uh, uh, 45. And you can imagine that's when they had family get-togethers. So that was quite a thing. A number of them were pastors or married pastors. One was a missionary. Her uncle Lawrence, in particular, had such an impact on her life. And Wanda's immediate family were not involved in church, but um, there was an evangelical free church in town about 10 miles away, and every Sunday, someone would drive out and pick up Wanda and her two sisters and her, her brothers, their brothers were twins, <clears throat> and take them to Sunday school and church, and then bring them home and pick them up again for our youth in the Sunday evening service. And so that's... The, Number five, okay, that's Wanda. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, this is about the time that she graduated from high school and this was going on at that time. She went on to graduate from high school that summer and uh, the pastor and his wife invited her to stay in their home while Wanda worked in a diner downtown. And then in the fall, she enrolled at Trinity in Chicago. She went out with a gospel team the next summer. And after that summer, she went back to Trinity, but while there, Wanda got a job at West Suburban Hospital in Chicago to take care of some incidental expenses. And it turned out that the Hospital Alumni Association had a full scholarship to nursing school, and it was given to Wanda. And in nursing school, she was the top student in that class as well. She didn't want me to say that. <clears throat> and there happened to be a nurse administrator who attended Irving Park Baptist Church in Chicago and took Wanda to church with her. And um, I was attending Northern Baptist Seminary, and my field work was at Irving Park Baptist Church. And you can see where this is going. Uh, we didn't really notice each other at first. Actually, I was going with someone else at the time. But in time, I noticed this pretty student nurse. There she is. OK. Getting her cat. Uh, in Sunday school um, area of the church, there was a balcony around an open area on the main floor. <clears throat> One Sunday, I looked up at the balcony area, and there she was. And I wiggled my nose at her, and she wiggled her nose at me, and the rest is history. <laughs> and so my advice to you, um, uh, to any of you hoping to meet the right person, just keep nosing around. <laughs> we had uh, eight or nine months uh, during my senior year of seminary, and she had two years to go. Uh, she put up a card on the visor of the car, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And so I came to the end of my senior year. <clears throat> it was time to go to church in Detroit as director of Christian education. Uh, we were sitting in the car outside the seminary, and I didn't say, will you marry me? I said, would you like to be the mother of my children? <laughs> and she said, yes. And uh, 
she was a nurse in training for another uh, year, and I went to Detroit. I'll go back now and give you some of my background. <clears throat> my dad grew up near Big Rapids, Michigan, not too far from Grand Rapids. He attended a Baptist church there. The teacher of his Sunday school class was now a standing man. A dozen or so of the boys in that class went into ministry. And when they did, a beautiful wood chair was placed in the classroom with a boy's name carved on the back upper panel, and the letters were painted in red. Uh, he was the first in his family to accept Christ, and he led his family to Christ. He wound up going to Moody Bible Institute and graduated there and enrolled in Northern Baptist Seminary. Oops. Uh, let's see. There he is. Okay. Um, and then um, it was time... Uh, it was time that he and his friends, uh, he and his friend Archie Graham went out holding evangelistic services. And they would take turns preaching and leading singing. And one time they came to Manton, Michigan for a series of services. And uh, my mother attended those services, and that developed into friendship and marriage. And later he pastored churches all over Michigan. He was a good preacher and a good pastor and president of the Michigan Baptist Convention for a while. My mother's family were all teachers. Yeah, you can take that one down now. Okay, or I guess you can't, can you? Okay. <clears throat> um, my, let's see. Uh, my, my mother was mainly active as a pastor's wife, and that was expected in those days. And I was going to say my sister and my two brothers and all their spouses turned out to be teachers, and I trained as a teacher. My mother trained as a teacher, and, um, but she spent most of her time as a pastor's wife. Her name uh, was Ruth. She lived up to that name. Uh, both my mother and dad uh, were great promoters of home and international ministries. And uh, that is something that's so good about this church. Um, I don't know any other church that does quite as well as this church as far as promoting missions. I'll go back here. Um, uh, I personally accepted Christ when I was eight years old. Uh, at least that's when I formalized it. I don't remember not believing but at that time, my dad and I uh, sat on the edge of my bed. He gave me some scriptures. He asked me if I wanted to accept Christ, and I did. They had some evangelistic services going on at that time. And um, my mother sat with me on the front row of the church. And when the invitation was given, um, I went up and, and received Christ. When I met with the deacons, I was sort of a shoe-in because my dad was pastor. Uh, okay. Um, I'll change the story here a little bit. I always got in trouble uh, for talking too much. <clears throat> I didn't talk until I was three years old. Everybody else in the family did all the talking. Uh, but then I finally started talking, and then I couldn't stop. And uh, I remember once uh, I had a fourth grade teacher that I just loved. <clears throat> and her name was uh, Hope Duboy. Uh, she always smiled. And uh, she had a chair right next to her desk. And one day she asked me to come and sit in that chair, and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. And uh, she was smiling, and I sat in that chair next to her. I had no idea I was sitting there for talking too much. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was just thrilled to be there. And um, time passed, and I went into the fifth grade, and uh, then my dad was called to another church in Lansing, Michigan, and we moved. And, but when we did, um, I got my mom to help me send four jars of homemade jam back to Hope Dubois. Um, then, let's see here. <clears throat> oh, we made the move to Lansing, and um, it so happened at, at a very critical time. 
Uh, my dad's first Sunday at the new church was on December 7th, 1941. And we all know that's Pearl Harbor Day. And so the, the country was launched into war as, just as he was getting started in, in that church. Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah. Okay, getting back um, uh, to the story of Venture Call, there were several things. Um, not large in themselves, but were indicators that I might be headed uh, for ministry. I remember going to a Baptist camp one summer. summer. Uh, my dad was in the car. I pulled out my Bible and started reading Romans 12 to him, probably my favorite passage. Uh, that was just one instance. Uh, that, that was my doing, not his doing. Uh, another time, I was 11 or 12 years old, and I just went around the neighborhood knocking on one door after another, inviting people to church. And um, nobody knew that I was doing this. Okay. Okay, then the next picture. Um, okay. Uh, I put that in here because that's this is about this time in my life. And um, we didn't have a picture. My mother wanted to have a picture, uh, a, a, a portrait. And uh, we didn't have anything like that. And so she arranged for me to have this portrait picture taken. And um, after that, um, okay, in high school, I was president of the youth group. Ranged some big events, we had some advisors, but mainly the youth were in charge of the youth program. A little different than the way things are done today. I'll give you another break on some things that happened at school. I went out for football in junior high. We had many games, but one was the school for the blind in Lansing. And they were bigger and they were older, but because they couldn't see, uh, our little junior high team played them. And I was just uh, scared to death. Uh, to play them. Uh, there was no passing on their part, so obviously uh, every play was usually up the middle. And I remember they locked arms and they charged ahead when the ball was hiked. And so it happened I was playing like right guard or center, something like that. I was right in, right in the middle of the line and I was terrified, all 110 pounds of me. And um, I think I tried, but fortunately I could see and at least get out of the way. Um, <laughs> Another football story in high school. <clears throat> I was probably in the 12th grade, again was playing in the center of the line, and another team uh, was right on their goal line. Uh, they hiked the ball, they fumbled it, I fell on it, and made a touchdown. So, uh, back to growing up in our family, uh, our parents did take time for us kids. We went camping every summer, I can remember. Uh, we had a beautiful Baptist camp at Lake Louise in northern part of Michigan. Uh, I went there as a kid, as uh, just going to camp, and later as a counselor, and then uh, director of a camp, and then camp pastor. And so I was there uh, about 12 years in a row. <clears throat> but getting back to the story of heading for ministry, uh, when I was in ninth grade, there was a group of students from Northern Baptist Seminary visiting our Baptist churches in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, during one of the services, they gave an invitation for those who felt that they wanted to go into some form of full-time Christian service. And I went forward, and then I think in my own church uh, the next Sunday as well. <clears throat> uh, later on in high school, I went to Shelton Heights Baptist Church in Flint, Michigan with a group of youth, and we um, preached what I called my first sermon. And I think it was about seven minutes and had about ten points. Um, <laughs> years later, I was called to be pastor of that church, and um, then I eventually did graduate from high school. Okay. And um, that was uh, my Model A. Um, I bought it from our next-door neighbor for $50. And 
And then I had it for maybe two or three years and um, sold it for $50. Um, but I wish I'd kept it. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> uh, I was called to be pastor there. What's the next picture? Okay. Um, I went to Michigan State for four years and uh, was in ROTC at that time. And so this is uh, my sister is pinning on the lieutenant bars at that point. And what you can't see in this picture is that she was leaning over to do that. <clears throat> and uh, four days later, she had a baby, and his name is Ron. Um, then after college, I went to seminary for three years. Um, let's see, at Michigan State, I was president of the InterVarsity Group at Michigan State. After college, I went to seminary for three years. And my two brothers were there also. Uh, Chuck was there for one year, and Graham was there with, uh, for three years together. Uh, both of them went to public school teaching. Um, they, they just felt that this was not their calling. <clears throat> Getting back to where we left off in Chicago, I moved to Detroit. Wanda was in nursing school. And, uh, okay, do we have another picture? There, okay. <clears throat> and I, um, I had this picture on my desk, and so every night when I would come home uh, after being at church, I would see this picture. I said, why can't the time hurry up a little bit so we get uh, past uh, this first year that I'm here alone? And, uh, but finally, that did take place. Um, during the year, uh, we would write each other every few days. Uh, people didn't make a lot of phone calls. It was too expensive, but we did write letters. And she might work all day and half the night and still write a letter. Uh, postage was three cents at that time, if you can imagine. And, uh, but under the, stamp, we, uh, under the stamp, we would put a little love note. And of course, I wrote her, and I still have all of her letters. Uh, she got rid of mine, and that was probably a good idea. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but every couple of months or so, we would try to see each other. And on one time, she flew into uh, Willow Run Airport outside Detroit. She got into the car at the airport parking lot, and I pulled out an engagement ring. <clears throat> I was so excited that I put it on the middle finger of her right hand. <laughs> And uh, you can still see that ring. She's wearing it right now. Uh, but it's on the left hand, along with the wedding ring, which uh, she received on October 26, 1957, the day we were married. Okay, and then the, okay. Uh, looking up at the cross in that picture. And then the next picture, uh, cutting the cake. And this next picture is sort of funny, if you want to put that up there. Okay, uh, I was working with the senior high kids and um, so at our wedding reception, all the girls in the senior high lined up to uh, uh, give me a kiss. Okay, and then um, let's go to uh, 16 there. Let's see, the next one. All right. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast in what is good. Love one another with great affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. All right, and then... <clears throat> Next picture was, oh yeah, I like this picture. <clears throat> I think that that was uh, on our honeymoon. I'm, I'm just about positive that it was. But I saw that picture, I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. I thought, that is a great picture. I like it. Okay. Uh, then the next picture, okay. Um, immediately, I want to immediately went as a nurse to Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. <clears throat> She's always been an excellent nurse. Uh, she didn't just do her job, she demanded that people get well. 
And in particular, uh, she loves babies. And in addition, she had always had the ability to easy meet, easily meet people. And uh, she remembers names and conversations and events, and that is very helpful. Uh, she speaks the truth in love without fear, and uh, she's a good sounding board. Well, moving on to the churches that we serve. Uh, there was the first church in Detroit. We were there for five years and was, was responsible for Christian education, youth ministry. Uh, all right, next picture. Okay. <clears throat> I'll bring this in now. This, this, this didn't happen at this point, but um, our first son, Phil, was born at that time, and he's in the upper left uh, corner there. Um, <clears throat> and um, also, let's see, as I started... Uh, my dad said, I wish I could pass on to you everything I've learned in the last 30 or 40 years. And that would be nice, uh, but we all have to have our own failures and successes and depend on the Lord to guide us along the way. And there are times in growing up process that we make life difficult for our parents and trying to establish our own identity. And I went through all of that, as we all do. But most churches are very gracious. Uh, they help the pastor to be a better pastor uh, the second church we served was in Flint, Michigan. I was called to be pastor there in December 1961. Uh, we were there for about 10 years. Uh, the people were congenial. We had a good time. Uh, one very good thing that happened there was the birth of our daughter, Rebecca. She's in the middle of the picture. And um, <clears throat> you know her as Rebecca Risser. Uh, we needed uh, to build a new sanctuary, and we did, but it was attached to the old sanctuary. Uh, the old sanctuary became an educational space, but to do all that, we had to move the parsonage to another lot about a block away. Wanda was pregnant with Dan, our third child, on the uh, right-hand side. Um, and um, let's see, where does that leave off there? Uh, the parsonage was moved. Uh, we moved back in. Ten days later, Dan was born. And so you can imagine what that was like for Wanda at that time. And after several years, we were expecting our fourth child, but a, we knew immediately at his birth that he had multiple, uh, multiple defects. And then 10 days after he was born, my mother died and uh, visiting her sister in, in Arizona. And then uh, Timmy died eight months later. And so 1970 was a difficult year. But we experienced a lot of love that year and we loved each other and our kids and we experienced such great love and support from the people in our church and beyond. <clears throat> and as the pastor here again is where you are trying to find balance uh, in your life and in your ministry and perhaps the best thing that you can do is to pray for your pastors and we do that all the time and I'm sure that you do too um, uh, just be alert and, and, and as to what if you can as to what's going on in the pastor's uh, schedule in life and uh, I remember one year that um, I had 17 funerals one spring. I, I had the funerals for 14 people and attended three others. And um, uh, one day I had uh, three funerals all the same day. Another time, three funerals on a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And you can imagine what that was like on Sunday. Um, we went to, uh, other things that we would do would be go to the emergency room uh, on a Saturday night. Uh, several pastors, a number of pastors would do that, and we'd take turns doing that. Well, you'd be up, uh, maybe get there maybe 10, 11 o'clock at night, and be there at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. People would come in with serious accidents, and you'd be there to counsel other people when uh, things were not going so well for them. Uh, I remember doing that one night, and um, 
uh, when you do that, you, you just sort of loosen you up, I mean, for the next Sunday morning. It's not as bad as you would think. And um, after um, the service, uh, I was up half the night, had the service, senior high boy came up to me afterwards, and he says, you should do that every Saturday night. <laughs> he said, it sounds better this time. Uh, <clears throat> well, what can you do? Um, uh, board, meters, board members can uh, stay alert uh, to the pastor's needs, and a church this size, probably the rest of us, uh, the main thing to do is to pray and encourage and uh, to do everything we can to help. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. Where was I before I was here? Okay. <clears throat> okay, here we go. A couple of years later, uh, we sensed that it was time to move on. We had been there for 10 years. It was time for a new challenge. We were called First Baptist Church in Sturgis, Michigan. My dad had been pastor there at that same church 40 years earlier. In fact, I was born there on Palm Sunday. And uh, Archie Graham, who had done evangelistic work with my dad for many years uh, before, uh, was at our church holding evangelistic services. And so my dad took my mom to the hospital where she and I parted. I was born. And then uh, Wanda and I moved there 40 years later, 1972. We bought our own home and moved in. Before we moved, a more recent pastor told us that the church had developed a reputation of making it uncomfortable for a pastor, and he should probably leave after about seven years. Well, we started out well, and the attendance was good. It became obvious that they needed to build. Uh, they had already built a new fellowship hall and classrooms uh, on a tract of land outside the edge of town. It was getting too small, and they needed to build a sanctuary, and that went well. It was a beautiful building. Uh, Wanda and I stopped there several weeks ago. Uh, but the seven-year itch began to take hold, and it was not all fun and games. And I'm sure that I would have done some things differently where I, do it, where I had to do it over again. But we stayed there a total of 14 years, and our kids graduated from high school there. And um, uh, I felt that it was uh, good that we were able to have that, that time there, and it was better for the pastors who would follow. And one of the pastors that followed soon after that was there for 20 years. Uh, the fourth and last church that we served was First Baptist Church of DeKalb, Illinois. I think it was our most enjoyable pastorate. And the scripture that I like to give you here is, Never flag in zeal, be a glow, glow with the Spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. Romans 12, uh, 11 to 13. <clears throat> Uh, it was a big old downtown church. The people were loving and friendly. Uh, I remember that soon after we arrived there, we noticed that there were only maybe one or two babies uh, in the nursery. And um, uh, so on a Sunday morning, I said to them, we need more babies here, and I want you folks to get busy and start having babies. And, uh, <laughs> and the next uh, couple of years, I think we had about 20 babies in the next... Uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, it's a beautiful sanctuary, and some years later, uh, we had a building program to do a lot of remodeling. We also had a Wednesday evening program with supper and classes and fellowship groups of all ages and choir practice as well, just a big Wednesday evening program. Later on, a small group ministry was started in homes. The church did very well in mission giving. In fact, uh, one of the missionary couples that uh, we supported were the Chetis in Lebanon, uh, who our church faithfully supports uh, the Arab Baptist, Arab Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. 
Um, okay, 21? Okay. All right. So we retired after 10 years, half years uh, there, and 41 years in ministry. Uh, we soon were asked to fill pulpits here and there, but especially to take on interim ministries. Uh, a pastor would move, and the church would need some, uh, someone to come in for six months um, or so. <clears throat> we did that five times. Uh, in one of those churches, uh, the last one, uh, we helped them to close their old historic downtown church and build a new building in a growing suburban area. And so I've been retired now for 21 years, and uh, Wanda for 20 years, uh, and that uh, was our home uh, there in uh, DeKalb before we moved here. Uh, we uh, moved here uh, nine years ago to be near one of our children, namely Rebecca and Jerry Rissner's family. Um, by the way, she put on a most beautiful 60th wedding anniversary for celebration for us a couple years ago. Uh, soon after we came here, Bob Blana came on staff. Uh, it was before the church uh, service had started, and Bob was standing up on the platform. And he spotted me and he said, so, what do you want to do here? Uh, you want to get up here and preach? What do you want to do? And uh, he soon talked me into getting started with a community group. It's undoubtedly the best community group in the church. And if, <laughs> uh, if you're not in one of these groups, uh, give us some serious thought. Uh, we highly rec recommend it. Okay, and then 23 was next one. Okay, uh, this is our family. This was taken a couple years ago. We, had a, uh, we tried to get together once every summer and then once at uh, Christmas time. And um, that, um, okay, you can pick us out easily. And Jerry and Rebecca are on the back there. And the um, nephew I told was, uh, uh, was born. Well, now he's, he's about 60 years old and just retired. Okay, that's our story, at least a small portion of it. I know that all of us in our family uh, say God has blessed us far more than our deserving, and we thank him for it. And then um, this one is from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. <clears throat> uh, be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. Everything you do must be done in love. So, okay. Questions? <laughs> Thank you. I think that's Nick, isn't it? Questions? Okay. Did your preaching style change from 10 points in seven minutes? <laughs> <laughs> it better. <laughs> Uh, I think I stopped using poison and just went through whatever was coming up, so. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Anything else? So how many buildings are there sold together that you have to do? One in every church. One in every church, yeah. <clears throat> Usually it was the sanctuary. Um, and then the last one also, I mean the, the one where we were on in and room. Uh, where the church was getting, uh, it was downtown area, and they needed to, to get out of there. And so while we were there, they sold the building and uh, got started on the new building. So, <clears throat> yeah. The church where you were admonished and have more children, did the 20 children represent the families who were already there, or was there growth from I think at that point, that was just the start, and I think those were mostly from the people there, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they need to get going. <clears throat> so, 
You want me to say that here? (laughs) Take your pick. (laughs) Our sons, uh, one, uh, Phil lives in uh, Mishawaka. He's with FedEx. Pardon? Elkhart. Yeah, he was in Mishawaka. Elkhart. Um, And Dan is in... um, um, what's the name of the town? Monticello, Minnesota. And um, he is in youth ministry there. Um, he works with kids that have difficulty in school. Uh, that is, they act up and um, they come from difficult homes. Uh, almost none of them have mothers. Um, I should say fathers in the home. And um, uh, he... he deals with these kids on a, on a regular basis. They have meetings every Tuesday night. They have a beautiful camp up in uh, northern Minnesota. They take the kids up there, and um, when the kids get up there, the first night is rowdy. The second night, things settle down a little bit. And, uh, and then when it, just before it's time to go home, they all get sort of quiet again because they have to go back to their situation that they came from. But uh, he had a a full week of, with kids there just about a week ago. And um, the camp is beautiful. You can probably find it online if I can give you the address sometime. But um, the camp has been there for, this, this program has been going on for about 50 years, and he's been there maybe 20, 25 years. So, <clears throat> yes? Well, I think just be aware of what's going on with the pastor <clears throat> and make sure that they take time off. Uh, sometimes pastors will just sort of run themselves into the ground. And uh, I think if you can make sure that the pastor takes time off, and uh, you know, like I think, I think it was great that um, Jeff took uh, uh, six weeks now, and I think that every pastor should be encouraged to take those times off like that. Just go get away and... Uh, don't, don't write back. Don't tell them what you're doing. <laughs> get away and, and get, get yourself rebuilt for what's coming next. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, <clears throat> I think just make sure that the pastor takes time for, their, for themselves and for their family. So, okay. We have 10. <clears throat> Phil has four, Rebecca has three, and Dan has three. And, uh, so, uh, yes. What's one of the most common pieces of advice that you would give to a new pastor? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. Um, I think to uh, <clears throat> I, I think to try to work your schedule in such a way that you give time to each of the things you're supposed to do, but you can't always do that. Uh, but but try to work it so that you have time for. Uh, the things that are that are really most important, and uh, maybe a, sort of a list of things. You know, what, what is my ministry going to consist of, and um, how much time can I give to this? Um, and uh, <clears throat> you need to give time to preparation, which is always a, a struggle, and uh, trying to get that done and to satisfy yourself so that on Sunday morning you're ready to go. 
Um, and uh, the sooner that starts, the better, but quite often things come along and gets pushed toward the end of the week, and it's just, uh, uh, it depends on, on the person. Some people are probably more disciplined and able to pull that off. But, um, yes? <clears throat> Probably, I didn't do much of that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't, there were, we had pastor's meetings, uh, and that quite often would be helpful. And the pastors would sort of let their hair down a little bit. And <laughs> instead of being the pastor in front of the church, um, they became boys uh, <clears throat> and had some good times. But they also, that was, those were times when you uh, were fed and, and uh, nourished spiritually. There might be a speaker who would come in and talk to the pastors. And that was always a good thing to do, and to get out of town for a couple of days, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, <clears throat> uh, there's so many facets to ministry, especially I think uh, average churches are, are not as large as this church, and a lot of small churches. And um, our churches, I think the largest attendance we ever had was um, 360 on, on one Easter. But uh, most of the time, that's, you know, 100, 200, something like that. And most churches are <clears throat> not uh, quite that big. But um, being able to um, just um, uh, probably, I was going to say, make a list of the things that you're involved in and how much time you're going to give this. this. Um, one of our seminary professors said um, <clears throat> you should probably try to make, if you, if you make 20 calls every week, uh, you're going to be in good shape in, in staying in touch with the people and, um, and helping in the growth of the church. And so... Yeah, you try to do that. And uh, you try to avoid uh, all the pitfalls that are put before pastors. I think a lot of pitfalls are put before pastors um, by the evil one. And uh, that's part of life. So, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, one of his favorite things to do, I think, was um, uh, meeting with people, uh, conversations with people, and the preaching is can be very rewarding too. I mean, if you <clears throat> have had an opportunity to to get ready and do it like you feel like you want to do it, and get up and do it and do it uh, with freedom, um, you you feel stronger as the sermon is going along, and uh, just you just feel good about what's happening there. Uh, second part it was. Um, so when you transition in retirement, you're, you know, out of this position of more visible leadership and more active leadership. Uh huh. What was that like for you? Was that hard? Okay. Was that it was. It, okay. Question is, what do you do uh, after you retire to uh, sort of get things on a different level of living? Um, but um, <clears throat> I think that. Um, um, uh, well, for one thing. Uh, uh, but it, it wasn't too long before I had an interim pastorate, and uh, that went on for maybe a year and a half or so. And um, then there was another one, so I had five of those all together, interim pastorates, and so it was sort of a slowing down. And then there would be time in between when I wasn't doing anything. And then we did some travel. 
um, uh, during that time. But, um, and then uh, quite often uh, a church would just need a pastor for one Sunday and fill in like that. Uh, and uh, as soon as I retired, I uh, went down to the basement of our house and um, built a new room, um, put in another closet, and had a workshop down there and banged around. So <laughs> and that, was a, that was sort of a fun thing to do. <clears throat> but uh, you sort of slowly, uh, you're still doing some of it, but not as much. And um, then finally you, you get to our age where you just sit around and stare at the ceiling. <laughs> it's not quite like that. <clears throat> so, uh, we're busy all the time. We're, we're doing something all the time. So, okay. Interim pastor is a lot more fun. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Uh, you know that you're going to be there, and you try to change things around a little bit uh, so that they can get ready for the new pastor. <clears throat> the old pastor did it this way, so you get in there and you try to just do things maybe a completely different way. And uh, that gets the church ready for somebody else that's going to come along. Now, that's not the, the change here in pastors, I think, has gone really smooth, and so there's, there's different ways to do it. I think that uh, Tom and all the planning that he did to make sure that this staff was changed over was just a remarkable thing that he did. But uh, an interim pastor can come in, uh, change things uh, up a little bit. Um, when you go into an uh, interim pastorate, uh, quite often the people are very down. Uh, the pastor's left, they don't know what's gonna happen next. Um, it may have been a good pastor, it may have been a bad pastor, but either way, the, the people react to what has just happened. Uh, and so, um, there's sort of a down situation, and then you begin to build, build them up. And you get to the point uh, where they're really excited about the next master coming. And so that, that transition is, is uh, something that's very enjoyable to do. And you have a lot of freedom. Um, and uh, quite often I would use old sermons because it gave me the opportunity to work more with the people uh, at that point, and I could just about almost give them a full-time pastorate, even though I was only there for maybe about three days a week. So. Okay. Mm. All right. All right. Mm. Okay. <laughs>